You're listening to episode 416 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hey, Max. Happy holidays. We're recording this on December 1st. It's hard to believe that 2022 is almost gone. I know. It's it's coming, almost gone pretty quickly. But uh, hey, we've got a new year coming up. Uh, lots of exciting things I think are going to happen. Uh, at least I hope they do. And uh, I look forward to them. I do too. Hopefully everyone here in the States had a good Thanksgiving weekend. I was busy at the museum. So we got a good dose of stories here for your entertainment or to supervise your online shopping. Let's talk about armed drones for Ukraine, European drone strategy, drones used for poaching and other wildlife investigations, drone videos of three active volcanoes, Dynamically assigning frequencies for UAS command and control. A survey of consumer attitudes on home delivery of goods and food. A max flight story, liquid hydrogen power. And a local story for me as Dover Air Force Base has got a UAS program now. Max, I think we should get started. Why don't you take the first story? All right, David, the first story... Uh, We've seen this in a couple of places, but in Defense News, it's senators urge Pentagon to send advanced Gray Eagle drones to Ukraine. Now, after some reports that the Pentagon had decided that it was not going to send armed drones to Ukraine, we see that 16 Republicans and Democrats got together, if you can believe that, and sent a letter to the Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, objecting to this story that the Pentagon wasn't going to send them drones. Now, these are the General Atomics MQ-1C Gray Eagle drones. And when we say armed, David, they're (laughs) armed to the hilt. If you know the MQ-1C is an uprated multi-fuel version of the Predator drone that the U.S. Army um, fielded, it is capable of carrying up to four Hellfire drones um, and missiles. T- missile. I'm sorry, capable of firing four Hellfire missiles. Um, currently, the U.S. has not sent any UASs that are capable of offensive attack. They've only been sending surveillance. This would be a bit of an escalation, um, but the senators involved feel that with the role of Iran sending the kamikaze drones and and the um, UASs through Russia to the Ukraine battlefield, um, it is a um, the escalation has already occurred and it, it should be met with equal force. Yeah, the concerns are kind of varied. Uh, one, one is this uh, idea of securing the technology. If one of these drones were to fall into Russian hands or to get shot down and uh, retrieved by the Russians, that they would have access to technology that they don't have now. There's the uh, issue of the survivability in the Ukraine airspace, which is kind of contested, and some people worry uh, worry about that. And also, these drones could strike into Russian territory. So we, we wouldn't want to see that. The United States would not want to see that. But uh, the senators uh, are, you know, think that the benefits, at least the senators that signed this letter, 
think that the benefits outweigh those concerns. And we are aware that the Pentagon is looking to, how do you say, dumb down these MQ-1Cs so that should a, if we do export them, should something happen, they would, um, there would not be a, a technology loss or technology gain for um, the Russians. If you remember, a lot of this involves the captured drone that the Iranians shot down and reverse engineered, which has caused the sizable drone programs in Iran that have outclassed um, even Russia's uh, drone programs. So we have never exported a Gray Eagle. We've always exported Predators or Reapers. In this case, we'll we'll see if the um, pressure falls on the Pentagon and the um, Biden administration to export these more advanced technology to support the Ukrainians. And they will be flying in Europe. The European Commission adopted the European Drone Strategy 2.0. I, I, I think we talked about we talked about 1.0 about a year ago, two years ago, Max. Now we have 2.0 and again this offers a vision for further j- uh, development of the European drone market. And uh, they say that it builds on the EU's safety framework for operating and setting the technical requirements for drones. It also lays out how Europe can pursue large-scale commercial drone operations while offering new opportunities for the sector. So it has uh, very much of a, of a safety angle to it, but also the objective of uh, growing the industry and uh, offering economic value the commission wants to um, ensure that society supports drones. Um, so making the European community comfortable with drone delivery and um, drone integration into their airspace, much like um, our FAA has worked to promote UASs here in the States. Um, the strategy calls for national regional and local municipalities to ensure that drone services are aligned with citizens' needs. So it's really pushing the drone technology to the forefront on multiple levels. Here, Max, we've had various states taking initiatives. Um, In this case, we have various countries and regions in those countries to um, support UAS. And the services offered by drones in this drone strategy are kind of the those that you would expect. Emergency services, mapping, imaging, inspection, and surveillance. Also small package delivery, particularly urgent delivery, things like biological samples or medicines. And also air mobility services like air taxis. And I think like... Um, uh, most other countries, they envision first regular transport services for passengers, initially with a pilot on board, but then ultimately transitioning to fully automated operations. I think that's pretty typical. But the commission strategy has a number of different operational, technical, and financial actions that it proposes. Adopting rules for airworthiness and new training requirements funding the creation of an online platform to support local stakeholders and industry implementing sustainable initiatives for air mobility. Um, 
developing a strategic drone technology roadmap to identify priorities for research, and defining criteria for voluntary cybersecurity-approved drone labels. Um, the last one is kind of interesting, Max, that we will discuss a little bit later about um, cybersecurity. Um, this is interesting that they're, they're going and in, in impl- rolling it into this program. And we'll have a number of resources linked in the show notes that you can uh, explore this more. Uh, there's the story, the the release from the EC. Uh, they also have a questions and answers page with some interesting items in it. And then we'll also have a link to the actual PDF of the uh, Drone Strategy 2.0 that you can look at. It's um, um, available for uh, for anyone. The Q&A is kind of interesting. Uh, some of it is is sort of... Uh, more basic than this audience, I think David would would want to follow along. But uh, they do answer that one of the questions they answer is, when will we see flying taxis operate in, in urban areas? They use the term IAM. We often use the term UAM for urban air mobility. Well, IAM, innovative air mobility. And they uh, talk about, you know, this coming in the future, but interesting to me, they point out that the Olympic Games in Paris will be in 2024, and that's a kind of a target date for certain operations to start, such as pilotless transport services. But they note that other initiatives are underway. So we'll see if the uh, Olympic Games in Paris in 2024 see the introduction of some uh, some interesting technologies here. Those kind of major events tend to push that kind of innovation and that technology gives gives a goal marker. I know Qatar probably was trying to get air mobility up and running now as as we go through the World Cup currently, but I, I don't think the technology was mature enough. But I know that they were trying to implement um, because of the major event, it, it's it's kind of a good way way to showcase the technology. Yes. But what you don't want to showcase is poaching. And this next story comes from utahbusiness.com. The five Utah Division of Wildlife Resources drone law enforcement officers have been trained by the trained and have their FAA pilot's license and they're going after poaching. Yeah, and they're going to use these drones to assist officers in their investigations. And they can help do that with uh, increased documentation of crime scenes, locating evidence, or in, in providing assistance like that. Yeah, poaching can be a big problem. Sometimes uh, illegally killed animals turn out to be, you know, mistaken identity. Uh, a hunter thinks he's shooting one thing and he's actually shooting something else, which is kind of problematic from several points of view. Um, but anyway, there's investigations into that kind of thing, and as as well as just outright poaching. And there's some other uh, other things that they'll be using these drones to do. Fishing without a license, terrible thing. And trespassing—that's a frequent violation, they say. Um, but yeah, the drones are a great tool, and so I think the uh, the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources is has got something uh, going here that's going to be a real assist to the investigations they conduct. Yeah, and, and I think we need to be a little clear that it's going to be for investigation purposes. I don't think they're going to be looking for p- 
poachers per se with the technology. I think they're going to be using it to gather evidence. So it's it's one of those we're working one of those privacy laws. So it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they push forward with that. But the next story is sort of our video of the week. Who knew that it's a volcanic time? Well, especially in Hawaii these days, but around the world, and this was from foxweather.com, drones have captured videos of three active volcanoes throughout the world. One is Mauna Leo in Hawaii. And there's a volcano in, uh, in Chile, Villarreca, and also in uh, Russia, there's a volcano that's uh, erupting as well. And so uh, in this article, you see videos from each of these volcanoes taken by drones. And of course, you know, of, of David, of all the applications for drones, I think getting a close-up look at a volcano erupting is probably the best because uh, it's <laughs> it's not safe for people to get close enough to uh, to look at it, and it's not safe for aircraft as well to fly over volcanic eruptions. So uh, a drone, which of course is expendable compared to an aircraft or a human being, certainly, is ideally suited for this. And we're getting views of, of things that we just don't see that often. The videos are quite spectacular. Yeah, definitely go to the show notes and check out the videos because it's definitely worth a few minutes. Um, volcanoes are really amazing things, and um, it's hard to believe all of that molten rock moving, you know, and it's very hot. So, yeah, I wonder, <laughs> wonder, wonder what, the, like, what, what the heat endurance of a DJI Phantom is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get too close. Yeah, yeah, tend to melt. To quote a certain witch, I'm melting, I'm melting. That's right. So the FAA awarded a contract to implement and demonstrate C-band frequencies to UAVionics um, or multiple UAS operations. This is from suasnews.com. Right, the contract is for some demonstrations, end-to-end demonstrations, of a frequency assignment manager, FAM. And this would be part of the uh, the Skyline product that Muavionics has, their command and control communication service provider management platform. There's kind of a mouthful. Um, interestingly, the system it will dynamically assign available frequencies for UAS C-band command and non-payload control to UAS. So the command and non-payload control, we call that CNPC. So these are UAS that have CNPC radios. Uh, so that's, uh, uh, you know, interesting. I guess the idea or the, um, um, the need here is you know, certain frequencies, limited frequencies, and uh, multiple uh, UAS flying that need to use frequencies that specific frequencies that aren't in use by other UAS. And so this is a sort of a dynamically assigning uh, system uh, for those frequencies. Well, it's like the good old story. You know, you had to lock up your radio control when you go flying at the local club because you don't want to start flying your airplane and have somebody else flying their airplane and, and both free, both airplanes are on the same frequency. So Usually, most clubs say when you're not flying, you lock up your radio so there's no potential of any overlap. So, um, and managing a pool of frequencies within a geographic area. So, what I was con- interested in is 
is this dynamic changing? Can that be changed in like mid-flight? That would be that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, I got the impression. Yeah, right. It would be. I got the impression this was you know, it was sign of frequency based on what's available and what the need is, and that for that flight for that mission, I assume it would remain um, that frequency. But uh, there are a number of demonstrations that are described under the contract such as, as you said, managing the pool of frequencies, allocating available frequencies to a specific CNPC radio, uh, receiving assigned frequencies for the designated mission, uh, as well as uh, having the radios uh, operating on the assigned frequencies. And also, this is another one, which which you were talking about, David, non-interference when multiple aircraft are operating in the area. So... uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, to this demonstration. And um, we should also say that the test sites are still going strong. This is from the Northern Plains test site is going to be flying these missions with UAVionics. So our original six test sites are still, still moving along out there, uh, doing their work. For a while there, we were very frustrated with them, but now they're just quietly doing, doing their work and bringing UAS to the rest of the country. So... Good for all of them. So, Max, do you want drone delivery? I moved away from an airport so I could have drone delivery. That's right. You you used to be too close to an airport for that to, to happen. This is true. Drone Life uh, reports on a survey that uh, addresses do U.S. consumers want drone delivery? And this is from a company that, uh, Tyrion, I don't know, a 2022 report. So they surveyed 1,000 Americans, and they wanted to get their perspective on drones. And there are, we'll just touch on some of the results because there are, there are just tons of things here. But 94% of the respondents view drones as having a potential positive purpose in the world. So that's good. 67%, two-thirds view drones as more environmentally friendly than trucks, of course, Trucks are what people are used to seeing deliver their <laughs> their packages to their house, houses every day. And followed by 57% think the adoption of small quantity drone deliveries is a good thing for the environment. And 47% said they would make a purchase from a specific retailer due to the option of a drone delivery program. 64% believe drones are becoming an option for home delivery now or will be in the near future. So, Max, I, I have to admit, overall, I thought these were really positive results, considering how long ago, it, it wasn't much long ago that we were worried about drones flying into airplanes. And they did touch on some questions relating to, would you be willing to pay more for drone delivery? And there were um, different, different brackets. If it was a small fee, say a dollar to $10, and uh, 41% were in favor of that. More than $10, 18%. But a whopping 41% would not be willing to pay an extra fee. Now, it's always tough when you ask questions in a survey about price. When you ask people, would they like, you know, how much would you spend? Uh, How much would you like to spend? Well, I'd like to spend nothing, you know, if I can. You ask me, I'm going to say, no, I like nothing more than something. So I think these things tend to be a little, a little skewed, depending on how the questions are asked. Uh, but uh, kind of of note, 
when it was phrased, well, if products would re- uh, would arrive at your house within an hour, well, then 42% said, yeah, they'd be willing to pay more money. So I think there's a clearly a, a value of speed that's felt by the uh, the consumers who were who were surveyed in this uh, exercise you know we we've gotten so much and i wonder if we had taken this survey 2 years ago before our covid if the results would would have been different or lower or whatever because we've really gotten accustomed to delivery period you know, and yeah. drone delivery is probably an outgrowth of that. And if it becomes consistent where there's a lot of speed involved, that's kind of, that's where people are going to go. I mean, Max, you and I have Prime memberships because we were told by now um, Prime was going to have delivery by drone. You know, that's why we got Prime memberships. Um, but it is kind of interesting that, you know, I would have loved to have seen what this what this survey was, say, three years ago before COVID, when I don't think as many people were doing delivery as they are now. Yeah, I think it, the results would have been possibly different, maybe quite a bit different. On the other side, though, there's, um, you know, besides asking people, do they like the idea? Would they, you know, be willing to pay for it and all? Another question is, yeah, do you think it's actually going to happen? And if so, when? And there's some interesting data there. 32% of the respondents felt that drones should or would become an option for home delivery within the next one to two years. That's that's pretty high for one to two years. 18% was three to four years, and 14% said five to 10 years. But that leaves a whopping 36%. And 20% think that the the public and, and or the governments will not approve large-scale drone adoption for delivery. And 16% just prefer that it doesn't happen at all. So uh, over a third of the people think eh, either they don't want it to happen or they don't think it's going to happen. So there's still a sizable portion there. The other fun facts were... Um if it does happen, these are the what possibly will go wrong. 39% said that the drone would deliver my items to the wrong address. Well, I, that we, we have UPS and FedEx do that all the time. Something happens to the drone and I won't get a refund. I thought that was interesting that um, if it, the drone doesn't make complete the delivery that they won't get a refund. Uh, 37% thought that their items would get ruined by the travel. You know, I am concerned about pizza delivery. You know, the cheese might slide. 35% said the drone will leave my items unattended, making it easier for porch bandits. I don't know. I, I'm not sure where that comes in, Max. I guess because you can't live it, leave it on your front porch. You got to leave it out closer to the the street i guess is what the logic there is Hmm, perhaps yeah and last but not least the sky will be cluttered with ugly noisy technology i I guess that's that's worse than um a crowded noisy roadway system 
with lots of pollutants. So we'll see. But yeah, definitely check out this survey. It's overall, if you look at it, it's a very positive Things are ticking up in the right direction, and evidently the messaging about drone delivery is getting out there, and it's becoming more wildly accepted, I guess is the big takeaway. So what could be wildly accepted? Well, this one could be wildly accepted by Max Flight, and that is a new airplane could be the first fly on carbon-free liquid hydrogen. Um, H2Fly, and we've talked about them before, is a German company that's looking to provide hydrogen gas fuel cell. And the HY4 is a four-seat aircraft and in April set a record for the highest zero-emission flight ever at 7,230 feet. So we've talked about the issue of, uh, for hydrogen-powered vehicles, do they carry compressed gas hydrogen or liquid hydrogen? And... Both have their advantages and disadvantages. Compressed gas hydrogen requires a much simpler containment vessel, and you don't have to liquefy the gas. Whereas the liquid hydrogen requires, obviously, a much more robust containment vessel. Um, it also uh, greatly increases the you know the dense the energy density there. So the uh, aircraft that H2Fly has been flying, the HY4, has been compressed gas, compressed hydrogen. Um, but now they say that they're going to switch from, from gas to, to liquid hydrogen. They say it will double the range. They plan testing to start next year in 2023. So I think this is uh, encouraging in that we need to do some development on, on, li on liquid hydrogen fuel. And uh, H2Fly is, uh, is proceeding down that, down that path. They have a long-term plan. They've entered into a partnership with Deutsche Aircraft to develop a fuel cell-powered aircraft, a large one, one that will hold up to 40 passengers with a range of uh, 1,200 miles. And that is spec to be a liquid hydrogen-fueled vehicle. So very encouraging we have a, a video, actually, well, they have a video uh, that we'll put in the show notes that shows this this aircraft. It's rather odd-looking kind of an aircraft. I'm not entirely sure why they um, chose this uh, twin fuselage design, but you can uh, you can see that in the I, th show I think notes. they had two gliders and added an engine. That's what it looks like. Two gliders, <laughs> yeah, attached, you know, with a, uh, a, a, a wing segment with a prop engine in between the two fuselages. A, a reverse P-38, or if you're any, familiar with the World War II Luftwaffe, a Zwillig, which is the anytime the Germans decided to twin an aircraft. So my local story, this is commonly known as a MICA in, in some circles. A <laughs> MICA. <laughs> SUAS program takes flight at Dover Air Force Base. The 436 Airlift Wing Plans and Program Office at Dover uh, has a UAS program jointly run with the Bedrock Dover Air Force Base Innovation Lab. They are flying a Skydio X2D uh, UAS system, and it was first flown this month on November 4th, 2022. And the, the X2D was uh, selected 
amongst other or from other Department of Defense approved systems, right? It has to be an approved system by the DOD uh, because it has advanced obstacle avoidance systems and other capabilities that they're interested in. So the uh, SUAS program there, it provides safe and effective integration of SUAS capabilities at the Air Force Base in Dover in order to support a number of different missions, including aircraft maintenance inspections, interestingly, counter SUAS, as well as airfield inspections, and agile combat employment, tactics, techniques, and procedures development. And of course, it's, the Skydio has got a, a FLIR, 3D scanning, and end workflow automation. Now, the test flights were flown over um, they use the museum at the Air Mobility Command Museum, the AMC Museum, which is located adjacent to Dover Air Force Base. So they use that as a test ground for these November 4th flights. Um, Bedrock is Dover's foundation for innovation, designed to leverage technology and off-the-shelf solutions for the military's problems and the bridge the gap between Dover's airmen and industry exports. So that's the organization supporting this um, this program at Dover. So, you know, in aircraft inspection, I'm sure a drone can do it a lot faster than a guy walking around if anyone's seen a C-5 up close. <laughs> and, and the best thing about that would be the fun point of flying the drone through the airplane. Yeah. All right, we want to thank you for listening to episode 416 of the UAV Digest. We really appreciate it. And, of course, you can find us at the UAVdigest.com. And, of course, if you want to go directly to the show notes, you can go to the UAVdigest.com slash 417, right? Uh, 416, whatever the episode number is. Slash 416. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you can join us on our Slack listener team, and you can do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAVdigest.com. <coughs> you can find both Max and I on social media. If you can spell flight and Vanderhoof, um, check us out on LinkedIn. Um, we are always looking for more stories and or people who'd like to talk about the UAS industry. Hopefully we'll have more guests on in 2023. So with that, I'm going to say this is David in Delaware. And Max in Connecticut. Thanks for listening.